Welcome to Product Leaders Podcast, a podcast by FireArt Studio. We delve into the world of product leadership to help empower you to improve end user experience. I'm your host, Dima Wenglinski. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Dima Wenglinski. I'm host at Product Leaders Podcast. Today, our guest is Aniket Naramnekar. He is a visionary tech leader with a breadth of industry experience, having held senior product roles at Win Central and Microsoft. Aniket is passionate about customer-centric innovation and truly believes in co-creating products with partners and customers. Hello, Aniket. How are you doing today? Hey, Dima. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Today, our topic is building products for multiple user types, which is really cool because I love analytics, I love cohorts, I love any tools that helps you to analyze your users and then direct them, reach out to them with a programmatic approach that helps you to determine best approaches, let's say. But before we go to the topic, tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. Oh, sure. Yeah, happy to do that. So as you introduced me, my name is Aniket. I'm the chief product officer at Check. That's what I do right now. I started my career many years ago, actually, as a engineer working at Microsoft on the Dynamics CRM platform. And I did that for a few years, worked on both user-facing things as well as back-end things. And towards the end, one of the last projects I worked on didn't really have a product manager. And I found myself moonlighting as a product manager. And that really got me curious. And that got me to see the value of being a product person. And I started to go down that path. And I found that really quite energizing, working with customers, talking to customers and understanding their pain points and problems and putting together a roadmap and vision was really exciting to me. And so I made that a permanent switch, if you will, or I changed my roles from being an engineer to being a product person. And it was quite interesting because I went from working on user experience, UI, front-end things onto a product role in the Windows team that focused on firmware and kernel. Like if I went any lower in the stack, I would have had being a hardware product manager, basically. And it was that role that I realized I found myself learning a different set of skills. And it was great. It was really rewarding being part of the Windows team, which has a billion users across the world. And then worked on really deeply technical problems to solve in terms of like energy efficiency, power management, and solve some problems for our friends in Azure as well. The ability to service the operating system while the virtual machine was still running, or maybe you paused it, while keeping all of your memory contents almost frozen in memory. And then eventually I moved on to the Teams team where I worked on the mobile product, our meetings product on both iOS as well as Android. And that's where I really started to discover what it meant to create products for very different use cases and very different set of users with diverging needs. And towards the end of that, 
my stint at Teams. I launched the help launch the free version of Teams. Uh, that's when the pandemic hit at the beginning of the pandemic and Teams didn't really have a free meetings version. There was a free chat version of Teams and that's what I helped launch. And then eventually I moved on to working at Ring Central. And then uh, there's a great opportunity at Check came in to lead the product organization. And that's what I'm doing right now. And it's been great. Cool. I heard several times about product leaders that turned from a very engineering positions with very deep engineering foundation. And every time I'm curious how your foundation helps you to maintain your current job, whether it helps you somehow has influence on it. Yeah, so that's a great question. So I would say there are two sides to that definitely does have a big value add. As a product person, one of the things that you do is you take customer empathy and you channel it inside the organization, right? And you help people see why we should do something, why we should go solve this particular problem out of a dozen other problems. And being able to speak the language and being able to help understand the problems that we are solving and even participate in discussions about, all right, how can we solve this problem in the short term and what does a long-term strategy look like? Being able to have that conversation with your engineers goes a long way. And even things like in the past, I've done some of my own prototyping to validate my own ideas just so that I don't present something as, all right, this should be quick for us to do. And then it turns out it's not really quick to do at all. And so in those kinds of areas, it's really beneficial to understand the technology, understand the limitations of technology, understand where it can go. It's not there today, but you can see that it can go to a certain place in the very near future. So maybe you should take a bet on that technology today. And those are the parts that it's really helpful. And Believe it or not, there are some instances where it requires you to be cognizant of that background and almost want to temper it at times, like put that part of your brain on hold for a moment. And that's because it's very easy to fall back, especially at the beginning, to your comfort zone of, I know how to do technical stuff, I know how to do technical design, and jump right into it, right? It's easy to jump into, all right, how are we going to solve this problem? And not think too much about why do we even need to solve this problem? Because you know you can solve this problem, right? And that's why I think it sometimes needs you to be a bit more cognizant. The other thing I would also say is, once you're focused more on the why, once you're focused more on the product itself and less on the technical stuff, it's not intentional, but you might start to get a little too much into the engineering realm instead of trusting your engineers to solve the problem and come back with recommendations, right? And both those things, I would say it's possible to do them. It's just something that you have to be cognizant about once a person makes a switch from being an engineer to a product person. Yeah, I agree. Relying on your team is very essential. And also this current curve of technology changing, it will be not easy to sustain the level of understanding even technologies for a long time because you've been deep tech guy for almost 11 years, right? In Microsoft. And it's been two, three years ago when you changed your position and realm to product manager. 
Well, technologies are changing. So uh, year after year, you will be deeper into product management and uh, you will be easier on tech stuff because it's changing very, very fast. All new frameworks, all new technologies, all new stuff, right? Right. And I moved to a product role actually maybe was, it's been quite a while. It was four years I was an engineer. And then since then I've been a product manager. So I've been longer in my career as a product manager than I've been an engineer at this point. And definitely agree with you. There are new technologies, technology stacks that are have come in. Like for example, things like what OpenAI is doing as an example, like none of that existed when I was an engineer, right? And I tried to stay on top of it, but definitely not in the same capacity as an engineer does. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, there was no podcast recording without talking about OpenAI. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have been pushing the envelope quite a bit. It's very interesting. It has broad application. You can use it for that and for that. GitHub introduced helper for coders. And also this new chat GPT technology is all over the internet right now. Let me take a moment and then talk about like what Czech is, what Czech does, right? So Czech is a marketplace for food and beverage ordering at venues. So we work more on premise. And now let's say you're watching a game and you're at a busy stadium. You're there with your friends. You're having a great time. Of course, you don't want to miss a moment of the game. You don't want to get out of your seat and miss the great game that is going on in front of you. And that's the reason that you are there at the stadium. But you still need food and drink. And what we want to do, what Czech wants to do is we want to enable you to do just that. So you can use a phone in your pocket and you can order food, you can order drinks, beer, soda. And we'll help you even find the concession stand where your order will be ready in the least amount of time. And so once you place your order, we'll notify you that your order is ready. All you have to do is go quickly pick up your order, show your confirmation notification, pick up your order, and you're back within like a short number of minutes. Whereas if you've been to a busy stadium, lines go 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, depending on the size of the stadium. And we want to create this environment where technology kind of helps you get the most out of wherever you are as far as like food and beverage is concerned. And now the other problem that we're trying to solve is now let's say that your cousin has invited you a birthday dinner at a favorite restaurant, but unfortunately you're traveling and you can't make it. But we have this gifting product now that lets you send food and drink to your cousin at the restaurant that she can enjoy maybe was a nice bottle of wine for a birthday, right? And you can do that whether you are in town, you're out of town, and whether it's morning or night. And those are the kind of problems that we're looking at solving at Check. And we want to do this not just focusing on the end user experience, but we want to help and focus on the operator experience of both sides as well. So whether you are an operator on the stadium side or you are an operator on the restaurant side, right? We're finding innovative ways to reduce costs, increase customer and guest happiness for you, and also at the same time, increase the ticket size of your orders. And in the process, we're trying to juggle both these things. And that's why, again, I'm really excited to talk about like designing and building a product for different set of users with uh, different needs and sometimes even different goals. And so that's what Czech does. And our goal really is focusing on technology and making the good times better with technology. 
Sounds really interesting. So if I understood it correctly, you have two major types of users. Service providers are restaurants, venues, and then your end users basically are consumers, but your paid users are service providers, right? That is exactly right. The service providers, as we call them, are operators are like your director of operations or VP of operations on the stadium side. And even there, there are two hordes of customers, if you will. There's the sports team, as an example. Let me take the example of Miami Marlins. That's a really close customer of ours. They're, of course, a sports team, but we also work with the concessionaire there at the stadium. And then, of course, as you mentioned, there's the consumers or the fans that go to watch these games at the stadium. I suppose even selling process is very different between selling to the stadium or a bunch of stadiums that are in network and to some cozy little restaurant that has 20 places to eat, right? That's right. They are different in terms of the way that you pitch the product. It's different in the way even the sales cycle works and the time it takes to finish a sales cycle as well. And onward to onboarding them and eventually also supporting them as well. So we we do this thing that we call white glove service, right? Where when we onboard a stadium partner and an operator, we work very closely with them and make sure that they are set up for success, going the extra mile to the point where we even provide a Czech ambassador or even multiple Czech ambassadors in the first few events that we are at a particular stadium. And that's just to make sure that if you have any question using our product and our technology, we're right there to help you. We're right there to assist and make sure that everything is smooth and you're having a great experience. Your fans are having a great experience. And as a result, we're all succeeding together. Yeah, obviously, they are big clients for you. You can compare. We work with different clients as well. We work with such clients as Rolls-Royce, Google, but also we work with garage-based startups. So sales process is different again. And nevertheless, that we love them equally. Still business is about numbers. So you should go extra mile or extra 10 miles with such client as Google, but you should go extra two miles only with such client as a garage startup, right? So you have different cohorts of operators, but whether your end users are having different experience on onboarding as well, depending on whether this user is up to go to the restaurant or whether this user is up to go to the stadium. Yeah, that's interesting to think about, right? So depending on the context, there are some differences between a user that's at a stadium and a user that's out in a restaurant. So at a stadium, we actually have multiple products, right? We have our phone app or our web app as well, which have similar enough experiences that you could think of them as one and the same thing, whether you use one in a web browser or you use one that's installed as a native application on your mobile phone. The other product that we have is a self-order kiosk. So despite having a phone app, Some guests just feel more comfortable walking up to a concession stand because they want to walk around and see what kind of concession stands are in the stadium. What does the food look like? At the moment, they want to decide, okay, that looks more appetizing to me at the moment than something else, right? And so we have self-order kiosks in those situations and people walk in line and we have a bank of self-order kiosks there. 
And of course, we have what we call belly up. POS or point of sale system, which is basically an opposite version of a self-order kiosk. There's an attendant there that you go talk to and you tell them what you want and they are the ones taking the order. Common in bars where you don't want people to order hard alcohol or something like that by themselves. And the differences, back to your question, are on the restaurant side, we don't really focus as much on the self-order kiosk. You're more seated and we either encourage you to use the phone app or we have or we even integrate with your menu. However, that may be whether it's printed or you have a little QR code that's on the table, could be a sticker, any manner of signage. And you can use that. You can scan that. It'll take you to our web app. It's a pretty quick frictionless experience for you to order your food and drink and the server will then bring to you. And so those are, I would say, the slight deviations. But in terms of if you're using the phone app in both instances, it's generally the same. On the stadium side, there are additional features and functionality that we have. Now, if you think about a typical stadium, there's not just any one concession stand. In a restaurant, your kitchen is kind of mostly one and the same, right? You might have a bar, but there's not this notion of having variety of concession stands, which exists in a stadium. So when you're a fan that's at a stadium and you want to order food, your first decision that you have to make is where am I going to order my food from? What are the options here? So we have a experience that lets you browse through all of the options that are in the stadium and select one of them. And one of the things that we do differently, which is a pretty cool differentiator for us is we'll help you understand which concession stands are busier than others with an estimated wait time. We'll tell you a five-minute range when you can expect your food to be ready for each of the concession stands, and we'll almost help you choose the one where you can get your food the fastest. So maybe it was hot dogs. The hot dog stand is really fast. You might get your food between five and 10 minutes, but the pizza place is running behind and it might be 15 to 20 minutes for you to pick up your food. And so that doesn't exist in a restaurant, but that does exist on the stadium side. And that's something that's a value add for you as a fan, as a consumer, but it also ends up being a value add for the operator as well, because now, what we're doing is we're taking previously, maybe there's one section where a lot of fans are seated and there's a concession stand right opposite to that. And so people will naturally gravitate to that. And maybe there's just a little like two minute walk away. There are two other concession stands that aren't as busy because, well, people just didn't think to walk towards them. And so with our experience, you can discover that and place an order at the other concession stand and get a notification. It's a brief two-minute walk and you have your food a lot faster than you did before. So operators also love that because we help spread out the load as a result of that. But getting back to your question, those are some of the differences where the stadium experience for a consumer is different than the restaurant experience for a consumer. But ultimately, when it comes to things like accepting payments and providing status updates of your order, that's generally the same. Yeah, I wouldn't call them minor difference, to be honest. It's huge difference in terms of like, for your company, I bet it was not that easy that you describe. Of course, you describe it in an easy way because you already have a solution, but from technical perspective and from logical perspective, from product perspective, it was a nightmare to organize 
I bet it was a nightmare to organize everything on those venues, especially taking into account that probably you had to deal with different venues providers because in venues, I bet they sell places for pizza place and for hot dog place, right? So, so you, you had to deal with different operators inside the venue, right? That's right. And I meant from like a consumer perspective, right? From the actual operator perspective, there are a ton of other differences and it starts to get really complicated as well. Like for example, a stadium and a sports team will have additional integration points. They will have something like you're a season ticket holder for a particular team's games. You have some amount of loyalty or some kind of loyalty benefit that you get as a result. Maybe food and beverage is a certain percentage discounted for you whenever you are at a stadium. Maybe you get some dollar values off or game, or maybe there's some credit that you're issued when you purchase your season tickets. And we work with these teams to build all of these integrations. So everything works seamlessly. That is not generally a problem that we have to solve in the restaurants. Things like inventory management and making sure that based on the sales, inventory records also reflect accurately is also a big problem that we work with our stadium partners to solve. And that's generally not as big of an issue on the restaurant side. So when it comes to the back of house operational things, it starts to get really, really complicated working with all of these moving pieces and putting together a solution that works seamlessly end to end while on the consumer side, it looks like, all right, I picked my favorite menu item that I see and I place the order, I use maybe Apple Pay or Google Pay and I'm done. There's a lot that happens behind the scenes that actually is complicated. Yeah, I have this impression that if we can divide your company into two different companies and one company takes care of restaurants and another one takes care of venues, so the first company would be Easy Peasy Mobile Startup because, you know, you just create processing system and then it's marketplace for restaurants and users. But venues, it's like rocket science because you have to have really, really experienced product managers to come up with all those ideas. You have to have a lot of operational managers to work with those venues or with those nets of venues probably there. To be honest, I have never been on uh, stadium in my life. So I know how it works from movies <laughs> <laughs> and I've been on venues like Web Summit, this kind of stuff, but on stadium never. But I bet it's very complicated business in terms of operational and technical in comparison to restaurants, right? Absolutely. Like even basic things. And to your point, like we have a fantastic customer success as well as an operations team that works very closely with our stadium partners and operators. And it is complicated from both the product perspective and innovating to solve some of the hard problems that they have. And also day to day, event by event or game by game, even operational needs, like simple things uh, that you don't really have as much of a challenge on the restaurant side. Like your menu does change, but it is somewhat fairly predictable on the stadium side. Sometimes you have things like this flavor of soda is now replaced with another flavor of soda. And maybe you have run out of things. You have other challenges like on the stadium side, at least in the United States, 
you have rules on when alcohol sales need to stop, right? So at a certain innings at a baseball game, at a certain quarter for a football game, you need to stop selling alcohol. Not an issue on the restaurant side, but it is an issue and something that you need to solve on the stadium side. And, and so providing an easy way where operators can maybe one tap and turn off alcohol at specific places because you could still sell it at a premium location within the stadium. So we enable you to do or operators to do just that. And talking about like innovation and how we are helping these operators be more effective, be more productive and make things that are more seamless. One of the pieces of innovation that we're building is we're actually utilizing the game APIs that provide scores and provide information about which inning you might be in, which quarter is ongoing, which games are going on. Is the game that's going on at the current stadium or is the game at a different stadium? What we're doing now, what we're building is using those APIs and previously having the operator configure the system so that alcohol sales will automatically turn off across the stadium, across all concession stands, and across any endpoint. So you might be using a cell phone kiosk or whether you're using your phone to order, they'll turn off. Nobody needs to remember to do that because today you have like the head of operations or somebody who's like keeping an eye on the watch. All right, what's the inning that's going on? All right, now alcohol sales need to stop. They'll radio and then people will make sure that they're turning off alcohol sales or even verbally telling fans that, hey, it's past this particular point of the game and we can no longer sell you alcohol. We're automating that. I love those little workarounds about big problems. And then you have a lot of workarounds and then your product is built from cards, but it works. So you're happy. Yeah. And so there are all of those instances. Whenever I see one of those instances, I really pause and think about, does it need to be this way? Can it be a different way? Can we make it such that we take off that cognitive load on the operator and automate some of these things. And in doing that, our solution becomes more and more lucrative. And when you do on board with us, then when you look at other solutions in the market, like what I have is really good. I don't want to leave. That's ultimately the kind of product and the kinds of solutions that we want to build. Yeah, I agree. While we are talking about venues, and I suppose they are kind of your strategic partners, or strategic clients, how are you using your strategic partnerships at Czech to scale your product? Yeah. So first of all, we've been very fortunate to be able to enter into these strategic partnerships. Our chief revenue officer, his name is Jake, uh, does a really great job at inculcating and building these relationships with all of these partners, right? So when you think about stadiums, there are a large number of fans that attend these games at those venues. There might be some other events that happen there as well. And other businesses, they see this as an opportunity. So for example, on January 8th, we ran a promotion where we partnered with Pepsi. And Pepsi launched this new and improved Pepsi Zero. And we partnered with Pepsi to enable fans that were at Hard Rock Stadium watching the Miami Dolphins game to get a taste of the new beverage while they're there without having to make that decision to purchase a Pepsi Zero. And so this works great for multiple 
participants in this, right? This works great for fans because they get to try a new product and they did not have to make that decision or pay out of pocket to try that product. It works, of course, great for our partner, Pepsi, because they get this new product to their fans really quickly and a seamless manner, which sometimes otherwise can be challenging to do. And not only does this elevate our profile because we're young and we get to partner with Pepsi, which has been a really fantastic partner to us, but it also kind of pushes us to innovate, right? So what we did, the way that we ran the Pepsi promotion on January 8th is... If you transacted a check, you received a gift, a digital gift. So you get a notification that Pepsi sent you a gift. So when was the last time like anybody, any of us received a gift coming from a particular brand? It's usually, it's a promotion code, it's a coupon, and it comes with a card and a message as well. So you get this nice animation when you open the card and you get a nice message encouraging, rooting for the Miami Dolphins to go win the game. And you go and redeem your free Pepsi Zero. And so from this strategic like partnership, we're doing a few different things. We're also using this as a source to innovate and solve problems in a different way. Instead of the old ways of just send somebody a message and hope they see it and hope something else happens, this is taking a different twist and enabling our partners maintain their brand and as the brand send a new item as a gift to the large number of fans that are at a particular stadium. From these kinds of partnership, it opens a conversation for, hey, that went great. What else can we do? Where else can we go? So there was a similar promotion that we ran with another partner, Hard Rock in this case. So Hard Rock Cafes ran a promotion for a Messi burger. So Messi not being by the state of the burger, Messi named for the soccer player that helped win the World Cup, right? And on the Christmas game, we partnered with Hard Rock to give out uh, free burgers for all of the fans at the Hard Rock Stadium that transacted with Czech. So all of these kinds of strategic partnerships, they help us get into things or get into a line of business that would have been very difficult for us to get into otherwise, especially as a young company. And it's mutually beneficial partnership because we use an asset that we have on our end, which is our users and fans on the stadium side. And so it's connecting these two using the core part of our company, our assets, our users and our fans and connecting it with these other businesses as well. And so that helps us scale our product as well. It helps us gain new customers and new fans that we didn't have access to before. And as a result, like I said, it ends up being a mutually beneficial partnership. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Not only locally on this particular event where you do this huge giveaway of burgers or Pepsi Zero, but also I believe it's good exposure for your brand, for your application, because this is huge giveaway. Somebody will write an article about this giveaway, right? So you get viral. Not only you get new users of this stadium, but you also get viral with this, right? Exactly. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And that did happen, right? So locally in Miami, magazines or articles, blogs, Instagram influencers did talk about it. 
I think there was an article like called, hey, Christmas Day, what are things that you can do in Miami? And so we were in, I believe, the top five of that list is go watch a Dolphins game and you'll also get a free burger. So you'll get to do two things. You can then drive up to the Hard Rock Cafe and go redeem a free burger with your friends or your family. So it ends up being beneficial from that perspective as well. And basically, like I said, it, it helps us elevate our brand. Shaq, you might not know about, maybe you've been to one of our stadiums that we work at and you've seen us, you've seen our logo, you've seen the sponsorship advertisement that we have over there. But now when you see that at next to another brand that you're very familiar with, it has a very different effect. So it sort of validates the brand as well. And Actually, our partnership with Pepsi goes a little bit deeper than that. At the Hard Rock Stadium, the concession stands are actually called Check and Pepsi Food Zones. So that's one way that fans identify with the brand and it starts to get synonymous because now you're saying Check and Pepsi Food Zone. So you're seeing that in the same sentence and you're kind of placing those two brands together. Yeah. I'm curious, have you compared like your usual net promoter score and your net promoter score from those let's call it brand events that you made? Yeah, so what we've noticed, we do have surveys or feedback options that go out. And what we do notice is fans do appreciate a introduction to a new product or a new promotion, right? Sometimes we do get into this notion of we're kind of bombarded with like advertisements everywhere. And so when we take this notion of we're helping you connect with something that you might be interested in, right? And we're doing it in a different way. We're making it fun and we're making it exciting. And it's almost, or rather it is the brand that's like sending you something as a gift that is seen by fans as something that is exciting. And it comes, like I said, like it, it comes with a card. It's a whole experience rather than you bought something and then you got something along with it. So it turns out to be an experience. It does make customers and fans definitely happy when they're participating in something similar to what we did with Pepsi. Hi listeners, it's Tolik here from Product Leaders. We have to hit the pause button there. That was a great conversation, so I just wanted to keep going back and forth. Stay tuned as we will release the second part tomorrow. As always, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and we'll be sure to include it in a future episode. Product Leaders Podcast is brought to you by FireArt Studio. I was the host, Dima Wendlinski. To find out more about FireArt and how we aim to build a brand that will contribute to the world with useful products that empower people and make their lives easier, visit fireart.studio. Search for product leaders in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you never miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at FireArt Studio, thank you very much for listening.